Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chicks No Ship podcast. Today, I am sharing with you a guest who I've heard her story several times. It's beyond inspiring. Like I, I'm actually at a bit of a loss for words <laughs> to describe this woman's story. It's a story about resilience and perseverance. It's a story about, you know, pulling through when all the odds are stacked against you, about, you know, the strength of spirit and character, and then the power of your thoughts and beliefs. And, you know, my guest today is an author. She's a disabled veteran. She's a cancer survivor. She's a public speaker. She's a philanthropist. And then you can add entrepreneur to that title with, you know, the creation of her own skincare line. There is no limit to what this woman can do. And I'm so happy to introduce you guys to Jazz Booth. Welcome, Jazz. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? How does it feel when I read that list of accomplishments? Like, <laughs> it, it, it feels great. <laughs> it, sh- it should feel great. Like, you have an incredible life story um, that I can't wait to get into because there are so many lessons and so many nuggets of wisdom in it. So can you take it, you know, take us kind of through your story? First of all, let's start like you deciding to join the army. Is that what you were in the army or? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. What so I was in the army. So I actually went to college first on a basketball scholarship. I wanted to be a television news reporter. And so mm-hmm. I went to college and I studied television and radio broadcasting and I'm six foot tall. And so I did this great sports internship and I moved to Vegas and I was going to be this great television and radio broadcaster. And I went for an interview and the guy said, you have great education, you have great internship, but there was just one problem. And I'm like, okay, what's that? He said, you were just too tall. And this was back in the nineties. And, you know, we didn't have, you know, the tall women apocalypse yet. And so (laughs) most of the women who were on TV that were doing television were still, you know, smaller petite women. And so I was like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, but you know, we like you. So maybe you can, you know, work the teleprompter. And I was like, first of all, I am way too cute behind anybody's teleprompter. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I felt a little defeated, but, you know, I was a single mother by this time. And, you know, I had always told them that you're you're bigger, you know, than, than any obstacle. And I said, you know what, I want to do a career that is very challenging and is very tough and, and something that my son could look at me and say, well, my mom did that, you know, she can do anything and I can do anything. And I said, okay, well, what, what's something that someone would say is challenging for a woman to do? And I said, ah, the military. And so I joined the army. Wow. Wow. That's that's quite the reason. Did you know what you were getting yourself in for joining the army? No idea. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. So what's it like being a woman in the army? Like, I imagine that like you must encounter some like fairly aggressive sexism 
And then yeah, add on you, top of that, being a black woman in the army. I mean, that's got to be even rarer. <laughs> you know, people asked me that. And I said, you know what? What's it like being a woman in the world? And what's it like mm. being a black woman in the world? You know, people look at the military as like it's this, you know, tucked away form of society where you get treated different because you're a woman or you get treated different because you're a minority. And I say, hey, do you know where do you know where the military get their men from? <laughs> oh, good point. Yeah. So yeah. they're no different. They're just in a uniform, you know. So you take uh-huh. the people that you deal with on a daily basis and just dress them up. So and that's what I tell people. So when people talk about, you know, the fact that women are raped in the military and women are treated different and there's racism in the military, I'm like, yeah. All you did is put American society in a uniform. So you didn't, you know, you're not getting any different problems. You're just getting the problems in a uniform with different levels of protection because these mm-hmm. people are in uniform and they're not, you know, held to the same standard. And obviously you don't want the troops to be, you know, embarrassed or you don't want the government embarrassed because of how they're handling things. And so they're able to get away with a lot more because they have the protection of that uniform. But it's just the same problems, just, you know, camouflaged pretty much. Interesting. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, interesting how, and I just did the same thing, right? Like how we like to separate the military to say, oh, it's a problem that exists there as opposed to like really, oh, it's in our lives every single solitary day, right? Yeah. So that's, that's, yeah, I hadn't actually thought about that. You're right. It's society dressed in uniform. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how long were you in the military? I was in for 17 years. 17 years. Okay. So you went through the ranks, you started a basic training and worked your way through. Like, how was that experience for you? And like, what did you learn about yourself and your time in the military? I actually learned how stubborn I could be because because you're right. You know, I learned, you know, later on that, you know, that society, you know, I just took American society with me into the military, but I did expect, uh, you know, the military to be different and to be this society where, you know, everyone was the same. And, you know, this was a, you know, a step up and, but, you know, it was tough, but I was like, no, I signed up and none of these people are going to push me out. I don't care what they think of me. You know, I am going to make a career of this because it's what I signed up to do. And yeah, it, it did make life, you know, harder for me, but it also gave me the experience to meet people that I probably would have never experienced, you know, in my life. I was born and raised from Chicago and I was born and raised in the projects, you know, and so right. I got to meet people from different countries, people from different walks of life, you know, and I also got to forge friendships that I probably would have never had had I joined the military, you know, travel to, you know, all different places. And I, I got to, you know, learn skills, definitely learn resiliency. <laughs> yeah, I would um, imagine. You know, and it was a great experience, but it also, you know, gave me the ability to provide, you know, for my child and to give him a different life, you know, from what I had growing mm-hmm. up. So I definitely wouldn't take anything away from what I learned in the military, but I also, you know, learned that, you know, regardless of where you go, there's always going to be something. And there's always going to be, you're always going to have your expectation of what things are. And it's always going to be completely different once you step in. But are you going to allow your expectation, you know, and what the reality of the situation is to deter you from your dreams and deter you from your path? And my answer was no. Oh, God, that's powerful. Wow. 
Yeah. And so I guess you're experiencing like in the army, I guess you're experiencing life, but like in a really like condensed and more intense framework than you would have. Like, you know, you would have met people, you would have got come up obstacles, but obviously it's a whole lot different when you're in the container of the army. How did you get it in terms of rank in the army? And like, what kind of jobs did you do while you were there? So I uh, reached the rank of major before I got out. So I was an officer. So I went in and enlisted and then I went to Army ROTC and commissioned. And so I started out as a truck driver. And so, as I told you, I planned to be a broadcaster and then I went to the Army and then I, I said, well, what it was one of those things where if I didn't go, I had to go right then or I wasn't going. So I said, okay, what do you have that'll get me out of here right now? He said, hey, do you have a driver's license? And I said, yes. He said, you can be a truck driver. They're leaving next week. I was like, sign me up. And that's pretty much how fast it happened. And so as I got there, I was like, you know, driving trucks isn't bad, but I'm pretty sure I can do something else. And so I've always known that I was called and led to help people as a mm. child, just didn't know how I was going to do it. And I was thinking, you know, how could I do that in the military? I know I wanted to be around people and help people. And so I looked into human resources and that was a way that I could be around people and, and help people help affect their careers, support their families. And so I was an HR officer for the majority of my military career. I was also an OCS instructor, which basically you train the future military leaders. Mm -hmm. And I definitely appreciate having that role because what do you do? You're able to change, you know, some of the culture that they bring into the military because now they're around women leaders. They're around right. minority leaders, right. things they may have not had before they got into the military. So they're able to learn about you. You're able to repel some of those stereotypes and you're able to affect, you know, their learning systems moving forward and, you know, hopefully change the way they feel about, you know, some of the thought patterns they may have had, or maybe some of what they were taught, you know, yeah. growing up. Because a lot of what yeah. we learn about racism and sexism is taught, you know, the yeah. same thing with religion. And so now they're interacting with you like, you know what? Women aren't so bad. You know what? Black people aren't so bad. And you're like, yeah, now you've met one. Now you've interacted with one. Go out and tell your friends, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. That's so true. That's so true. So tell us a little bit about like the story leading up to you leaving the army, because I mean, this was like, you know, as I've heard it and I've read about it, this was like a test of resilience and perseverance. Like I have probably never heard and will never experience. But like, tell us a little bit about what you were experiencing that as you were leaving the army. All right. So in um, 2005, I was, I had recently just got stationed in New Orleans, a Navy support activity. And I um, had found out that I had won a round trip ticket to Iraq. <laughs> and I was nervous and excited at the same time. Obviously I was nervous because I was going to a combat zone and I was, you know, still a single mom at this time, but I was excited because again, I would be a woman in a leadership position. And again, that's not something that, and especially in a combat zone that came around for women in the military uh, very often. And it's also something I took very personally as a mother, mm. because, you know, a lot of the the troops there, their parents had told me, you know, please, please bring my son or daughter back safe. And you yeah. know, again, I, I took that very personally, but unfortunately I didn't make it to Iraq due to two significant events. And I will tell you, you know, as a woman in the military, especially early on in my career, and, and you just didn't get the opportunity to have a bad day. And something also women, we don't tend to do is to listen to our bodies and we allow people to talk us out of our feelings. And, and we allow people to tell us things that, oh, it's all in your head. And mm -hmm. I knew something was wrong with me. And I would tell my leadership something is going on with me. And they would say things like, oh, you're just the kind of leader that would get 
you know, troops killed in combat. And, you know, this is why women shouldn't be in leadership positions. And, oh, are you just trying to get out of, you know, your responsibility? And so I said, you know what, you're right. I'm probably just tired from all this training. It's very hot and I'm just going to ignore it. And so what kind of things were you experiencing that that was kind of telling you that, that something was wrong? I was more tired than usual. And we were this is the summertime and we're in the Midwest. And so, yeah, it's, it's, unused, it's hot and it's inhumid, but I'm born and raised Midwest. So I know hot and humid, but this is back. I'm in my twenties and I'm like in the best shape of my life. And I'm built for a tough back then, you know? So (laughs) I was like, yeah, I know it's hot and humid, but I'm more tired than I usually am. And I was having this pain in my head, neck and jaw area and my face would twitch on its own and something just wasn't right. I knew and my body was telling me something yeah. wasn't right. Go to the doctor. But every time I tried, I was shot down or made to feel bad about wanting to go to the doctor. So I just said, all right, all right, fine. I won't go. And during that time, we had got sent up to Fort McCoy, Wisconsin to go through postal training because um, we were running a post office and the commander called us in the office. And that's when he let us know that a hurricane had hit New Orleans and a hurricane happened to be Katrina. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, so I was basically sitting there, realized that I, me and my son had lost everything we owned, but I couldn't do anything about the loss. And so I just continued my focus on getting these young men and women safely out of this combat zone. And so by the time we got back to Fort Seal, Oklahoma, the levees had broke. And so that made the situation a lot worse, of course. Right. And so now there are people who can't get a hold of their family members and they're like, everybody's panicking. So they gave us like a two week pause so people could locate the family members and salvage any goods they had. My stuff was already at a complete loss. So I was like, you know, Maybe I'll take this time and just go to a doctor and get a quick checkup, you know. And so I went, I got a call a couple of weeks later and they said, hey, can you come over to the hospital and get your test results and have somebody drive you over here? And I was just like, it's kind of an odd request, but okay. As a young officer, if anybody's driving you around, it's like pretty cool. So you're like, okay, <laughs> get a driver, you know. Right. So, <laughs> um, so I go over there and the doctor, I go into the, the doctor's office and he says, sit down. No one ever wants to hear sit down going into the doctor's office. And right. I said, well, well, sir, what's going on? And he said, well, you're not going to be able to deploy. We're not you know, sure about the rest of your military career. And I'm just sitting there like, you know, spit it out. And he says, well, we found a huge malignant mass in your head, neck and throat area. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. And he says, you have cancer. And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> and he says, yes, you do. You have a rare form of cancer called adenoid-cystic carcinoma. You're stage two, stage three. You need surgery immediately. And this kind of cancer, you know, is so aggressive that it, you know, it rarely, you know, responds to any one particular kind of treatment. So you're like 50-50. And I'm just sitting there like, and I'm thinking, because, you know, when you were in the military, you know, you're military does become your family. So I'm thinking about my military family, you know, my troops who I cannot deploy with, who I've told their family, made them promises that I'm going to get your son or daughter back safe. And you know that obviously that's a huge promise, but whatever's going to happen to them is going to happen to me too, because I was going with them. And also now I have to think about what if I orphan my child because I'm a single mother. Yeah. And so I had to go to my troops, let them know and I, I didn't, you know, pull any punches with him. And I told him, you know, I had cancer and I couldn't go with them. And I had this one soldier that she hated taking pictures. 
And before I left to go down to get treatment in Texas at the uh, Army Hospital, they all took a picture and she's in the picture and she has her head tilted down a little bit. But I know how hard it was for her to take that picture. But just to see her in it, just let me know how much my whole Ah. um, platoon had care for me, you know, and it was beautiful. It was such like a heartfelt moment. And so, yeah, and I just, you know, I called my aunt and I just told her, you know, what was going on. And I told my old, her not to tell my oldest son at the time what was going on because I didn't want him to worry about me. You know, he was, he was a kid and, you know, you don't want, you want your kids to just be happy and not be worried about you. Yeah, yeah. So I went down to the hospital. Uh, it, was, it was called Brook Army Medical Center at the time in San Antonio, Texas. I stayed down there for six months. I was in, um, I had two surgeries and 30 cycles, 30 cycles of radiation. And oh my God, it sucked. But um, yeah, <laughs> when I first got down there, I mean, I was just like, radiation just is just, I really can't explain it, but just imagine just going to just get the whole side of your body just burned every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, then my sense of taste went away. I couldn't smell. Every time I tried to eat or drink anything, I would just throw it up. I couldn't sleep. It was just horrible. And I just started to just turn into this just cranky person every day. And I was just mean to everyone. But it wasn't just I wasn't mean to them because they did anything to me. I was just in pain every day. And I locked myself out of my room one day and I had to go into the go to the front desk, get a new key. And as I was standing there, because the lady was taking so long, I was like, oh, my God, can you hurry up? Right. It was because it was I just it was a bunch of troops being willed in. They were from Iraq. And there were some that were being willed in that were burned unrecognizably. There were some that were missing limbs. And there were some that you could tell just didn't even know where they were. And so I got my key and I went back to the mirror and I said, you know what? This is your last day of complaining because at least you can look in the mirror and realize and see the person that you are, you know? Wow. What an experience. So being able to find gratitude, small amounts of gratitude, like in this situation. And even, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking... Like Hurricane Katrina was actually a huge gift to you because had that not happened, you wouldn't have got the two week pass, right? Yeah, that's what I tell people. I don't complain because Hurricane Katrina was definitely, you know, a blessing in disguise for me. Definitely. Sometimes, like they say, what is it? Sometimes the best gifts come in the ugliest packages. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, And that's not to say, I was listening to someone the other day on Facebook. There was some video and some guy was like... Mm -hmm. You think you're having a bad day? Well, look at this guy. He's such and such. And I tell people, you know what? Yeah, you can still have a bad day. Don't I don't like people who compare trauma to other trauma. Yeah. You know, have your bad day. I don't care if you don't that you don't have both of your legs. Now, it took me to do that to get some balance and get some perspective. Yeah. You know, but that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, because your depression isn't as bad as that other person's depression that just because you're able to hold a job because you have a nice house or a nice car doesn't mean that your worst day doesn't count for something. Right. You you know, so I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can still have your bad day, even though you're still paying your bills and you're still eating. So don't let people, you know, be like, well, you're still doing good. Yeah, I am. But you know what? My day still sucks and that's okay. And I'm going to still have my bad day. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Not to negate it, but (laughs) yeah, that's interesting. So I mean, I know you're a pretty deeply spiritual person. Like how, and were you at that time when you were experiencing this or? I was not. <laughs> okay. And I wish I would have been at that time, but I had come from a, a very religious family and, and things like spirituality were frowned up on mm-hmm. because 
what some people think of spirituality as, you know, witches and demons and, you know, things like that. And it's so much, you know, more spirituality. Some people bond to spirituality through nature, yeah. through music, you know, yeah. just through self-awareness, meditation, right. you know, all types of other things. But I had not found spirituality at that point. And so I was just basically winging it. <laughs> Yeah, just just winging it on, you know, I need to get through like at that time, my light was my child. I need to get through this for him. Mm. He needs his mom. That's all I had. I had nothing internal to pull for myself to just say, you know what, you need to get through this for you. And I think that's the thing that we do as women. You know, we have to grasp onto other people as our straws because we don't think that we're we're just enough. Like, you know, I I need to get through cancer for me because I want to survive and have so many other things to do. It's always, you know, I need to get through this for my husband. My mother needs me. My Mm. child needs me. I want to go to work today. I want to stay in bed sick today, but I can't because my boss needs me. And it's just like you can just need yourself. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Oh my goodness. Is that true? Like we are so guilty of just putting all of our power outside of ourselves and often doing ourselves a serious disservice in the process. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you then, okay, so you've gone through radiation, you're like, how does your cancer journey progress? And like, so at this point, are you discharged from the military at this point or? So the cancer ain't even the hardest part of this journey. So yes. So so I guess I was on the plus side of the 50. And so the cancer did respond to the radiation. And so the military was like, great. So you got the cancer. But unfortunately, you still need a whole lot of medical care and you don't have a job to go back to because your, your unit four deployed and New Orleans is still in complete shambles. So here's your DD-214 and you need to go to the VA to basically, they'll help you figure things out. And I was like, well, I don't have a home or a job to go back to. It's like, yeah, great. So go to the VA and help you figure things out. And I was like, okay, well, thanks. And so I went to the VA and I was like, hey, told me everything about what happened. And I said, the military... I no longer have a home or job to go back to the military they told me to come here because I'm a veteran. And they said, yeah, but you're a woman. I was like, yeah, last what? time I checked. Yeah. What's that got to do with anything? <laughs> yeah, that's what I that's what I was asking. And I said, yeah, I am a woman and I served my country just like the men did. And I need housing. I'm homeless right now. And they said, well, don't you have an illegitimate child? Then you need to go get on welfare and food stamps like other women in your situation. Holy cow. And I tell people, like, again, I was born and raised in Chicago, so I've worked very hard on my inner ghetto for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) You can imagine what happened next. (laughs) She told me I had an illegitimate child. I was like, first of all, your mama. And second of all, the VA is for men and women who serve their country. You know, women have died in service of their country. And there are women in Arlington National Cemetery right now who died in service to their country. So how dare you? And, you know, she just gave me a blank stare, never apologized. And so, yeah, here I am, was just a few days ago, you know, had housing, supportive service, you know, full benefits, an officer in the military. And now I'm a homeless veteran sleeping on my aunt's couch because my country saw me as a second-class veteran because of my gender. So I knew support for veterans is horrific. It's not good. But I had never considered the fact that the step down from that is female veterans. I didn't either. That made two of us. This was 2005. Yeah. So they just don't have the infrastructure and support like to support women. Like, how is that missing? (laughs) We were an afterthought. Now, definitely it's it's Uh, 2021. So, you know, 
times have changed, but they never thought of women as being part of the ill, part of the wounded, part of the troops coming back with PTSD. You know, I have friends who are females who are double amputees, single leg amputees who have PTSD, who have depression, who have been, you know, burned, who have been blown up with, you know, IEDs. They never thought about that. They never thought about women, you know, being homeless because they can't keep a job because they're waking up from night terrors from, you know, being blown up or being shot at. Never thought about it because it said women are not in combat positions, but we are always been in combat situations. Never thought about it. Never crossed their mind. They were not prepared for it. And then you put on top of that, so you're dealing with the PTSD and all of that. And then you take on the roles that women do looking after the kids, looking, trying to, you know, taking care of a home and all of that. Like the holy, I'm flabbergasted. Like I am speechless. So what next? So now you're, you're discharged from the army. You're homeless. You have Mm -hmm. no job. Mm -hmm. You have a child. What next? Yeah, so um, I'm sitting there laying on the couch and every day my son would get up before he went to school and he said, you know what, mom, today's going to be a better day. He'd get up, give me a hug and he'd, you know, go off to school, like clockwork the next day, come in. Okay, mom, today's going to be a better day. And I was just laying there, I feel like a big hypocrite because I remember just years earlier telling him, hey, you can do anything, you can get past any obstacle, you're bigger than your challenges. And I was there throwing myself the biggest pity party ever. And slowly I realized that nobody RSVPs the pity party. And I was always going to be at a party of one. And so I just, again, I was like, you know, I owed him more. Here I go again, pouring into him. I owed him more. I got to get off the couch for him. Got to get up and get a job for him. Again, giving myself no credit, not trying to do anything for myself. I was, again, I was focusing on him. And so I did get up and I got a job and I was able to get back into the military and I got a, a full-time position back in DC and that's how I ended up in Northern Virginia. And so a few years later, you know, I kind of just put everything behind me around 2009, 2010, the Oprah show was getting ready to go off air and I'm a captain now. And I was like, oh, okay, I got to catch this last show. I got to catch one of these last shows because, you know, oh, us Chicago girls, we feel like we put Oprah on, Oprah put herself on, but we feel like, you know, <laughs> we put Oprah on. And she had this show about a homeless woman veteran. And I was just like... You got to be kidding me. This is still a thing. This has Mm. been like, you know, five years and nobody is doing anything about this. And something said to me, yeah, and you ain't doing anything about it either. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And at that point, I took that personal. Right. And just from watching that show, I decided I was going to do something about it. And I started a nonprofit. I figured out, I never thought about starting a nonprofit, but I figured out what I needed to do legally to start a nonprofit, what resources I needed. I had none, but I did it anyway. And I started a nonprofit, which still exists today. 10 years later, we've supported over 7,000 women, veterans, and children who are either homeless or facing homeless and provided over 15,000 days of transitional housing. That's amazing. So what is the name of your um, nonprofit organization? It's called Final Salute, Inc. And I'm also in Orlando this weekend to put on an event called the Miss Veteran America Competition, which uh, raises proceeds for my nonprofit organization. And like I said, I knew that I was always called, you know, and led to help people. And I've always done that. And, and you were talking about, you know, when I get into spirituality, that didn't come to after I left the military in, in 2018. And once I left the military, I just got sad and depressed because now I have no more purpose because I have no more people uh, to help. Right. You know? And right. I'm just feeling sad and defeated and lonely. And I was just like, why are you lonely? Why do we get to the point where we can't 
find comfort in being by ourselves and being with ourselves. Mm. What's wrong with you that you don't like being around yourself and when you can't be by yourself? Oh, right. <laughs> oh amen. I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so in that time, I just started to become more self-aware and pour into myself and practice self-care. But and also I tried to figure out, you know, what is actual self-care? And I was looking at, you know, things people have done for themselves. And I was just like, why do people make self-care out to be such a big deal? You know, why do you feel like you have to travel to the islands of Hawaii or go over to Tibet and shake hands with a monk to feel like you've done something for yourself? That's right. huge. How about just getting up in the morning and do 10 affirmations and tell yourself that you're beautiful. You're going to have a great day, that you're worth it. You're kind, you know, or just, you know, small things matter and big things matter, mm-hmm. you know? And so I just had to, I started to sit more with myself. I start, I meditate. You know, I listen to music and frequency that spend more time in nature, even if it's just sitting in my backyard. And I found out, you know, how cool of a person I am just Mm. to be around and be by myself. And I take, you know, I don't mind being alone. Yeah. But what does alone really mean? I think we've associated that word with being something negative. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it's not. It's not. In fact, it's so far in the opposite direction, (laughs) right? Because, I mean, we live in a society where, you know, busy is rewarded and celebrated and, oh, I'm so busy and I'm so busy. And a lot of that business is distracting us from ourselves in ways that we have no idea. And it was the same for me. Like when I left my career and had like a lull in my life, it was like all of a sudden I'm like, oh, look, hmm, thoughts and feelings I've never had before. Hmm, Let me explore (laughs) them. Right? Right. Yeah. And in that exploration, it led me to places like in my life and in myself that I would never have gone to. Right. You know, so I appreciate my quality of time with myself because I'm an amazing person. And so just being with myself, it's just like, you know, this is great that I get to spend this time and have this, you know, alone time, you know, with myself, because when you're spending time with other people and you get around people who inspire you, don't you value that time with them? So why don't Mm -hmm. you place that same value in the time with yourself? We should do that more. Oh, (laughs) another amen to that. We should absolutely do that. We should be celebrating ourselves, especially as women and for everything that we've accomplished, whether it's a list like yours or it's simply raising, you know, some amazing kids or whatever it is. We need to be celebrating ourselves every day. (laughs) Agreed. And that's another one of the reasons that I started my skincare line is because I make self-care and self-appreciation part of my day in every day. So instead of getting up and just saying, I'm just washing my face, I am practicing self-care and self-love. I'm not washing my face. I am nourishing my my skin. I'm spending time with myself, you know, and I'm putting love and affection into my body. You know, even when I'm showering, I'm not just showering, you know, I'm being content in what I'm doing. I'm being aware that I'm touching my skin and I'm feeling the warmth of the water mm-hmm. and everything. So it's just like, you know, you get up, I got to wash my face, but I don't wash my face. It's going to be dirty. Or I brush my teeth, my breath. Runs. It's like we're doing things because people are telling me, you don't do this. And it's so like, why aren't you, you know, instead of showering, I'm going to go in here. I'm going to have this experience to, you know, wake myself up and feel good. And so I'm like, do things with intention as opposed to just doing things because I have to get up and do these things to start my day. You know, do everything with intention and you'll see your day different once you do things with intention as opposed to doing things as just someone and looking at it as a mundane routine. I'm telling you. Yeah, I am getting (laughs) I'm getting goosebumps as you were talking, because what you just said about making everyday routine jobs an act of self-love like that is so freaking powerful. 
Like that's amazing. That is so beautiful. And I love that you've created a skincare line around that. So like, so you create your philanthropic organization, you're helping all these women. Then, then like, where does the idea for a skincare line come from? Are you just like, just as a way to show love to yourself? Like, why did you start down that particular path? Because I wanted to, okay, well, one, people do not realize, well, when you look at beauty, what do people usually think of? They look at, they think of outward appearance, right? Mm -hmm. Beauty is mental. It's a thought process, right? But also people do not realize the mind and skin connection. And when I was thinking about, you know, doing everything with intention and also people do not realize that the mind and skin are actually connected. Like literally they are formed as part of the same epidermic tissue when informed in embryo as a baby. That's why when you do things like when you're someone says, Hey, beautiful, and you blush, your mind has triggered that blushing mm-hmm. and you can see it on your face. Like when somebody says something to you and you like what they said, and you can see it on your face. That's your mind telling them, you know, right. I didn't like what you said. Even when you're sick, you're not drinking enough water, all sorts of things. Your mind sends these bodies to your body and to your skin to let you know what's going on, you know, with you, whether it's feelings, whether it's nutrition, all sorts of things. Your mind is constantly connecting with you through your skin, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was thinking about that. And also, you know, I, I named my skincare line Agni Awakening. And so your Agni is your brow chakra, which mm-hmm. is centered right here, which is the birth place intention and where your thought process comes from. And so when I was looking at that, I was like, why aren't we doing everything with intention? And for me, self-care should always be intentional, but it should always be something as part of your day. And it should be something that you practice every day, but also, again, people... People think like, you know, it has to be something, you know, grandiose or or something hard. And I'm like, if you do it as just a practice every day, what it, and I was like, you know, what is something we have to do every day? You get up, you brush your teeth, you wash your face, you shower. Ah, every day you're constantly touching your face. You're mm. touching your skin. So why don't we start there every morning? Wow. And so that's where the idea came from. Oh. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I love that so much that, yeah, just taking everyday actions that we don't even think about and like actually being intentional and and creating love for ourselves. Because the reason why I specifically love this, especially as women in aging, right? We tend to look at our skin and be like, oh, look at this wrinkle. Oh, I got a new line here. I've got, and we're constantly criticizing our aging faces. And, you know, your skincare line is actually the complete opposite of that, where it's like, I am just going to love all over my face with these products that I'm using, right? So it doesn't really matter about, you know, whether I have an extra wrinkle or, you know, you know, spots of of what you're using. Wrinkles are going to happen. Acne is going to happen. Blemish, it's going to happen, you know, and there's stuff out there to like counteract it, but it's going to happen. I'm not practicing skincare. I mean, obviously you, you want to do these things, obviously cleanse and nourish your skin. They do that, but you know, there's nothing you completely use. that's going to counteract the stress that you're going to encounter. But you know, if, if you try to lead a healthier and a nicer and just, you know, and I was talking to someone every day, I posted something on my Facebook the other day and someone, I said, you know, you can choose to be a happy person. And there's like, you can't be happy every day. And I said, yes, you can. That doesn't mean you're not going to have some sad moments, but you can choose to say every day I am a happy person. And I said, that's, that's not to say 
every now and then you're not going to have a down moment. So I didn't look at it like that. I said, yes, I have said I am a happy person. I'm choosing to be a happy person every day. Yeah. And I said, just say that. And so that means like when I'm done being sad, I'm going right back to being happy. I'm a happy person. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, yeah. again, thought process, change your mindset. Mm-hmm. So yes. powerful. Yeah, yeah. So I live with depression, you know, but again, I'm a happy person who lives with depression. I'm not a depressed person who has happy moments, you know? Mm-hmm. So I love that it's there and it's going to come and yeah. go, but my steady state is happy. And that's how I choose to live my life. And that's how I chose to, you know, position, you know, my mental health. So yeah, it's something that I deal with, but it's not on the forefront. You know, some people just, you know, like, you know, I, yeah. I live with depression. No, that's one of the things that I, I face on a periodic basis. But no, I am not depressed, you know, 24 hours, seven days a week. I'm happy most of the time. And then I deal with this. Yeah. Like the story we tell ourselves about ourselves matters in a huge way. And so if you were telling yourself, I'm a depressed person who's occasionally going to be happy, then hello, that's what you're going to experience. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just think that, you know, and I was talking to someone the other day about how when people go through traumatic experience, how people tell them, well, because you went through this, this is why you're struggling. This is why you're like this. And this is why, you know, you would do life with so many obstacles. I'm like, stop telling people that. Stop telling uh-huh. people it's okay to, they didn't accomplish X, Y, and Z because they experienced something 60 years ago, 40 years ago, 20 years ago. How about encouraging them, you know, to try to get past whatever. And I always tell people, how about encourage people to focus on the lesson instead of the trauma? How about yeah. that? Yeah. You know, how about that is exactly right. <laughs> how about like, that? Stop telling them like, it's okay for you to stay in that incident for the rest of your life. If you keep telling a person that and, and they've never heard anything else, then that's what they're going to believe. Some people just need someone to tell them, you know what, you did experience that, but you can do other things. You can su- succeed outside of that. You know, you're more than that particular instance. And, you know, you have so much more life to live, you know, and someone is waiting on you to come out of that story so they can come out of theirs. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. We need to let our lights shine for sure. So you are definitely no stranger to reinvention, (laughs) reinventing yourself over and over again from the projects to the military to cancer to homelessness to like, what is the one or two lessons that you would give somebody if they're in this position where they're like having to start over? So whether it's midlife or whatever it is, and you find yourself in this place where I'm like, okay, I'm starting over again. What is kind of the one or two things that you, pieces of advice you would give? I again would say, why is your mindset focused on starting over as opposed to, you know, okay, what's next? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's well, huge. What's next for me? You know, I, I see so many people on, you know, social media, like, hey, you want to grow your followers? You want your business to be successful? Well, let me tell you what I did. And I'm like, don't care. Cause that's what worked for you. Don't mean it's going to work for me. You know, Love and that. I, and I'm not, knocking on them, but you're going to tell me how you succeeded. What you're not going to tell me is how many times you failed before you hit that success metric. You know? Right. right. So everyone is going to fail a whole bunch of times before they hit that success metric. And and are some people just going to get lucky and 
you know, blow up? Of course they are. But most people are not going to tell you how many times they had to fail before they succeeded. But everyone should know that failure is part of success. So because you're not getting it on round one, round 10, round 50, round 100, and you give up, round 101 may have been your success metric. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that is so true. That is so true. And, you know, one of the things that I always say, and I, I'm, I was listening to it as you were telling your story, is that like every chapter gave you everything you need to survive in the next one right? Like, you know, you conquered cancer, which gave you this, like, you know, sense of perseverance. Like you, you, you know, you fought through the army, you like, you did all these things that led you to becoming, you know, a philanthropist to help women. Like, it was just like, you were just, you know, and then, you know, you're moving from that and, you know, teaching women to see the power in themselves and self-love, like all of that, like every step kind of led you to the next. So you're right. You're not really starting over. It's like, what am I, what's the lesson and what am I building on? Right. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. And, you know, the the other thing is to listen to yourself. Mm. You know, I don't think we listen to ourselves enough. And and that's not to say that you can't take advice and take guidance, but you should be your decision maker and your decision authority because you're the only person who has to deal with those decisions that you make. I just see so many women let people talk us out of our greatness. Yeah. You know, well, and had I listened to people, I would not probably be having this conversation with you today. When I was getting ready to start my nonprofit, you don't have any money. Nobody's going to listen to you. You're not famous. I was like, I don't have to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I'm going to do it. And I did it. That's amazing. And, like, <laughs> you, and you did it in a big way. Like, you, How much money have you guys raised in your organization? We're probably approaching like the uh, over $4 million mark. And we've never raised or we've never been given a federal dollar ever. Wow. And so who are your, who are your donors? Like Uh, just the American people, we have like federal contracts, but it's it's all been private. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And you did it. Individual donors. Yeah. You had never run a charity before. You'd never started one. And here you are $4 million later. That's, that's huge. Right. But you had definitely is because I believed in myself and I listened to myself. That's it. Believing in yourself and listening to yourself. Right. But you like some part of you knew that this was going to happen. Like you were just like, okay, obstacle, 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 but I'm going to do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I knew again, you know, through my experience that someone had to do something about it. And I know often we, we, we get in women, we women, especially do this. We get in our own head all the time. And I, you know, and I thought about, I was like, you know, I don't know the first thing about running a nonprofit, but I was educated. I could learn about it, mm-hmm. you know, and I knew how to talk to people. I knew how to network. I mean, that's half of running a business, talking to people, <laughs> networking, yeah, you know, and getting people to believe in you. What are you selling? Nonprofit, you are selling solutions. Yeah, yeah. You know, and people don't look at nonprofits as a business. That's, it is a business. Oh, for You're sure. You're in the business is. of solutions and saving lives. Yeah. And because I knew how the system was broken. What was my selling matrix or was my story? And that's the one thing that people could not challenge me on, my experience. Yeah. Yeah, you'd lived it. Yeah. Wow, that's so incredible. So where can people find more about your skincare line, about you? Because I know you are a public speaker. If somebody wants to hire you to speak, like where where can they find you? All right. So if they uh, 
go to jazzboothspeaks.com. That will actually link you to my uh, speakers page and also link you to my to my skincare lines website. Oh, okay, perfect. And can you also get to your your charity as well too through that link? Yes, and so okay. I, I've linked it there, so it opens up to my intro page, to based on my bio page on my on my skincare line. I'm there as the chief spirituality officer. <laughs> I love it. I love and, it. Yeah, and then it'll you know, have my links to my bio, to my nonprofit, and then you can go there and look through my my products and such as well. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure all of that gets in the show notes. So if for everybody listening, go check out Jazz Booth and her, if you feel so inspired, donating or purchasing her skincare line. But thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your story with us. I am so inspired. I have a little charity project of my own that's been niggling in the back of my head. And you've just now <laughs> lit a little bit of a fire underneath me. <laughs> I'm like, I can Great. do this. I can totally do this. Never done it before, but I can totally do it. So thank you. I so appreciate you sharing your story. And I, listeners, I hope you guys found jazz as inspiring as I did. And may you walk away from this, this episode with just a renewed sense of your own power and you know a little bit more belief in yourself. So... Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.